This week on A Lively Experiment, the longest name for the smallest state. Will Rhode Island get a name change before the end of the year? And we speak with a local dreamer about last week's Supreme Court decision on the president's efforts to end DACA. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on this week's panel, attorney and former prosecutor Eva Marie Mancuso. Pablo Rodriguez, Professor Emeritus at Brown University's Warren Albert Medical School, and former Chairman of the Rhode Island Republican Party, Brandon Bell. Hi everyone, I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this week. Well, the last time voters were asked whether they wanted to remove Providence plantations from the state's name, they overwhelmingly rejected it. But with the increased awareness over the country's racial divide over the last month, is it time to revisit the issue? Governor Raimondo thinks so, and she's moving right now to remove plantations wherever she can from an executive standpoint, but that does not change the name overall. Pablo, let me start uh, with you. It was pretty overwhelming uh, when we last voted on it. Do you think times have changed? And if this does go to the ballot in November, what do you think would happen? I think there's no doubt that this is going to change. Uh, the, the, the entire country is in a different place uh, as a result of George Floyd's um, murder by the police and all the demonstrations that have been going on throughout uh, the country. We have seen changes already in police departments that would never have been you know, possible even, even a year ago. So I believe the mood of the country is completely, completely different. Um, and, and this is something that, that, that time has come. Uh, to change something that can be very, very completely uh, hurtful to, uh, to people of color, specifically to African-Americans. Eva, the, the governor has gotten a little bit of flack saying, well, this is kind of a soundbite. We, we have a nice um, uh, press conference, but what does this really mean for the long run? Will she move on to the next issue? In order for this to pass, there's going to have to be some political capital. Again, if the House passes it, the Senate bill, and it goes on the ballot in November. Jim, I think that it's all about education. You know, um, I agree with Pablo that the country's in a different place, but I don't think it's just George Floyd. Um, I understand the issue better now. Um, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I didn't look at it from a situation that it was more, you know, it was more historical and that's the name, so why change it? But when I hear people like Senator Metz talk about how hurtful it is um, to hear the word plantations and how when he reads a proclamation someplace, he doesn't use that, um, that resonates with me. And I think that's what's gonna be the moving factor in voters, not so much that, um, that it's George Floyd or the police or what have you. I think it's more of education on the fact that words can hurt. So, Brandon, what are your thoughts on this? I, I think that the history is important. You know, I think that, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's possibly the right result. I mean, it, it failed overwhelmingly 10 years ago, like 75, 25. And, and maybe to Pablo's point, Eva's point, that it, we're in different times today. You know, you got to remember, we're actually canceling the wrong part of the name. The state of Rhode Island and Aquidneck Island is where the, the epicenter of the slave trade was. It wasn't Providence Plantations. That's Roger Williams. That's religious freedom. That's the separation of church and state. So I just, I think the history is important, but I understand how, uh, from Senator Metz and others, how the, the name um, is offensive. I just don't know if, 
you know, if this is the day, the way we deal with, uh, with racism, um, uh, you know, Roger Williams was always against slavery and uh, Newport was the epicenter. So it should be the state of Rhode Island, the Quiddick Island that's canceled and keep Providence plantations or taking the word plantation out. What about that, Pablo? That, you know, the, the argument has been plantations didn't know what it meant. I think all of that gets lost in, you know, obviously for African-American people, anytime you hear plantation, no matter how hard you try to do the history lesson, um, that argument, although maybe sound from a, you know, theoretical standpoint, practically, it still sets a lot of people off. Oh, completely. I mean, and, um, you know, the story that I heard the other day was from, from Uma Seta Jones, the director of the DHHS, who came to the state, you know, uh, to, to run our, our department. And um, all of a sudden, when she got her first paycheck and she saw the name plantation, she hadn't seen it before, was, was very shocking for her. She's African-American. So, you know, anytime you had to explain something to, to, to people over and over again, then, you know, it's obviously a problem. All right, so it still has to pass the House, and we'll see what happens. The Senate has passed it, and we'll go from there. Um, Eva, let me begin with you. Education, uh, the big uh, transformation plan for Providence came out this week. The uh, superintendent of the Providence school system and uh, the commissioner of education. We saw kind of a lot on theory, but not a lot on specifics. They want to up attendance. No addressing of all of the, the physical structure of the uh, buildings themselves. So, you know, I know there's a lot to dig in there, but as the former Board of uh, Education Commissioner, just give me your thoughts at first blush on this plan. Well, you know, I read it and I read it in detail. And to me, as I have said all along, it's more the same. There's no urgency in education. And um, until we address this straight on with the urgency that it has, um, you know, Obviously, all the goals are fabulous, but they're not new. Um, the devil's going to be in the details. Um, the very first thing that should come out is the teacher contract, because that's the most important piece of it. Um, and that's really what we're going to see uh, what change goes in. And I think the overwhelming majority of teachers want change. Um, and so hopefully that will, you know, that will be what, what, where the details are, because that's what's important. The other thing is also, um, it's nice to say that we want to have educators that look more like our kids, but you know what? We could start right now with aides and, and lunch workers and people in the buildings um, that look like the people that are in the school there. Um, that's, that to me is, is important, you know? So my, my um, stress over education is the same as it was when I was chair of the board. We need to feel the urgency. It has to be done now. We don't need any more commissions. We don't need any more studies. We don't need any more nice, um, you know, papers about it. We need movement. We need to have somebody in those buildings either demolishing them or fixing them. So when kids and teachers go to school, there's not dripping water on their head, um, that they, are, they can learn in a place that is conducive to learning. Fellas? Yeah, I, I, I agree 100% with Eva. I mean, I, I know. Well, write it down. Thing. I know write we're doing down, that. <laughs> this um, is a lively moment. This is a lively <laughs> moment. And, and I, what I'm going to say is, in, in the highlights, I want you to say is, look, a year ago, almost to the day, we knew about the RICAS scores. We knew right. about the Johns Hopkins report, um, that, which was devastating, um, and how bad things really were. Where is the sense of urgency? Uh, you know, uh, whatever goals we have for changing things, there's still no sense of urgency. And these kids have one chance. That's one right. 
intense. And we just wasted a year of their lives. You know, if they screw up in elementary school, how do they catch up? Why not six months ago? You know, anyone could set goals. And the other thing I'd just like to add, and, and you know, I'm not attributing this to Eva, but, you know, is you're going to change the status quo. You're not going to do that when special interests are emphasized over the interests of children. That's, it's really that simple. And, you know, even, and I'll put a plug in for the Republican House Caucus. You know, they, they gave options to empower parents of minority communities to choose educational environments that are suitable, school choice and um, open enrollment, charter schools. There are so many options out there, but where's the urgency? That's the key. What special interest, Brandon? Oh, let me see. Uh, the unions, the teachers unions. Um, okay. You know, we have to bow down to the unions when, um, with, you know, without putting the kids first. And we have to, you know, we always have to reach all these agreements. There was so much urgency with that Johns Hopkins report uh, in and of itself. And, and I had a lot of faith and still do in, in um, uh, Infante Green and the commissioner to, uh, to take action. I didn't see a lot of solutions. Um, I didn't read it as thoroughly as Eva did, but I totally agree. I think it's an aspirational plan um, that uh, that the commissioner has put uh, forth, and um, I've been very impressed with with uh, in Angelica Infante Green and the, the, what she has been able to accomplish in bringing people together in writing this plan. I believe that what's going to happen is that the plan is going to be used as a way to bargain with the with the union, uh, putting the aspirations front and center, and saying, you know, how are we going to get there? Uh, these are these are the options, and and be able to work that way. The other thing that uh, I find it lacking, and and I I found it lacking for many many years, is the school formula. The funding for for school districts in the state continues to be faulty. Uh, Central Falls uh, had 450, I think, more students than expected. Um, and what is the result of that? That they have to lay off teachers. So more work, more students, and they have less resources. Uh, we need to figure out a way. I mean, we're in the 21st century. We have to figure out a way of assigning the right amount of money to the right districts for the right purposes. Uh, and, and that is the part that I just don't, didn't see in the plan at all mentioned and something that I think needs to be really, really looked at. I, I think, Pablo, the funding formula is, is an issue to be raised, but we always, in Rhode Island, we always say, well, if we had more money, we could do mm -hmm. more things. Yeah. Well, isn't that with everything? Um, mm -hmm. I look at Massachusetts spends less per student and look at the results that happen uh, and happen in their school district. We always look to Massachusetts for what they've done. So I think that it is, um, it's complex. I don't think it's a union problem because I think the rank and file of teachers, they don't want to go to work, work hard, and then see the kids not have any results. The majority of teachers really want to work hard. and I mean, really work hard and really want to see the results that happen. I think what happens is we, everybody gets in a stalemate and nobody breaks it. And, and that's because we're not pushing forward. I don't know this commissioner, but I agree with you Pablo what I see I'm impressed with um, I just hope that she continues to just keep pushing and when you push you're not gonna make friends uh, take it from me I want to uh, make clear though yeah I don't mean to cut you off either. I want to make clear I wasn't referring to the rank-and-file teachers um, I, you know I'm really referring to the union leadership when it comes to bowing to special interests 
And, and I'm not saying that's even happening right now, but I feel as though maybe there would be more of a sense of urgency if we didn't have to deal with some of the leadership issues in those unions. But the rank and file teachers, oh, absolutely. I agree with Eva 100%. But also you send the rank and file teachers to buildings that are, I mean, the John Hopkins report right. talked about that. The other thing, Eva, is that I hear is, well, we really want to cut down on the absenteeism. We want to raise that. But what's the plan to do that? So what, what are the reasons that kids are absent? Is it two working parents? Maybe the grandmother says you don't have to go to school today or somebody's not at the house. So, I mean, I, everything is different. But how do you say we're going to get over the next five years that absenteeism rate low or more, more people coming to school? What's the roadmap to getting there? I didn't see that. And, and exactly. And you have to dig deep on that, Jim, because I think it's multi it's, it's this multidimensional. It's not just a kid saying, waking up saying, I'd rather sit home and play video games today. There are so many challenges in our most, uh, in our most vulnerable families that we have to dive deep. It's housing, it's, it's economics. I mean, it's not odd that the state of what our state is in right now in terms of the unemployment rate, we're gonna see more kids that are not thriving because they're in a household that's not thriving. So you can't look at it just as um, an education or that it's a parent who decides that they're gonna spend the month in, you know, in Europe traveling rather than sending their child to school. That's not the issue that we're seeing. Um, although I know in the um, I know that they have had some problems around the holiday times when people from other countries go back and visit. I heard that a lot um, when I was chair of the board, uh, but I don't think that happens today. Um, I think parents are just under so much stress, um, and the and the households that that's what happens. And kids that turn to be 13, 14, and 15 when the real uh, dropout rate starts, um, we look at it and say they they give up hope. They give up hope. And that's really where we have to work is to make sure kids have hope and a pathway to success. And that's not always just college, as we know. Um, it's the workforce. It's 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 being hopeful. All right. Well, we will be uh, talking to this as we go into the fall. Um, other big news last week, the U.S. Supreme Court finally came out with the decision on DACA. As many of you know, the DACA kids, the so-called dreamers under Obama, the Trump administration wanted to, to move to unwind that program a little bit. Our senior producer, Dorothy Dickey, yesterday, this week, interviewed uh, one of those DACA kids. You may know him because you see him at a lot of hearings. He's very politically active. Rodrigo Pimentel, he's now 23. He came to the United States when he was 10 months old from Portugal. Here's a little bit about what he had told Dorothy about what he thinks about the Supreme Court decision. My experience in the DACA program, it has been an opportunity for me to come out of the shadows, work lawfully in the state, study and pursue a better life. Over 600,000 DACA recipients were awaiting the Supreme Court decision in uncertainty in the midst of a global pandemic. Many are fighting COVID on the front lines. 30,000 DACA recipients work in the healthcare industry. The ruling was quite narrow in scope. So while it is a win in the sense that DACA recipients like me for the next few months will probably be able to continue renewing our status, the administration can go back and try again. So ultimately, it's up to the U.S. Senate to pass H.R. 6, which would allow people like me to pursue legal status in this country. A lot is at stake this November. The administration has vast amounts of prosecutorial discretion on immigration. The administration can decide who to deport and who not to deport. And if that power is in the hands of President Trump, then that means more and more families 
who have just overstayed their visas, who are undocumented in the country, would be a, an enforcement priority. Whereas previously, in prior administrations, they made a very conscious effort to not target families who've done nothing wrong but violate an immigration law, which is, in, in the vast majority of cases, a civil matter, not a criminal one. So Rodrigo, as you can see, is a, he's very active politically. He's a board member on the uh, Rhode Island Young Democrats. Eva, we were talking off camera on this. You have a direct connection um, with the DACA kids. Just tell me about that when you were with the Board of Education. Sure. So um, I, have, um, I have two pieces that will always be my legacy, in my opinion, at least, or other people's opinion. And um, one is bringing mental health first aid to the college campuses. And the second one is, and the most important one, is allowing um, DACA uh, kids, uh, kids to, um, to pay in-state tuition um, if they're undocumented. Uh, prior to that ruling, um, they, kids would go through all the way through our, our schools and then they'd go to URI or RIC or CCRI and they'd have to pay out-of-state tuition because they were undocumented. And uh, when I was chair of the board, um, a group of people, including this guy named Pablo Rodriguez, um, came to see me and said, um, can we look at this as a, as a rule rather than as a law? Because the legislature, it's such a hot issue, the legislature never took it up. And um, I don't have any confidence that HR 6 is gonna pass for the same reason. So the only thing we have to do is make sure we change the president so that the next president will be looking at the criminals rather than the kids. I have to tell you, when I watched this video and I knew it was gonna happen, so I did it early, um, I did it last night, is I cried because I cried during the testimony. These young Rhode Islanders, as Rhode Island as I am, testified so eloquently and so I was just so proud of everything about what it meant to them to be a Rhode Islander and to go to Rhode Island schools that you know if I looked back it would have been my family when when I was when I was young right so um it was just it was very moving to listen to him speak about what it meant to him uh this DACA ruling and and that's really what we have to focus on anybody that's a criminal should not be in the state of Rhode Island uh, that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about dreamers who have been educated by the way on our dime from kindergarten all through high school and they should be able to pay in-state tuition and that ruling has it still stands today and you know what the schools aren't falling down or anything else but it's allowing an education for kids that wouldn't otherwise have education so um it's very important to me um to see that decision and i think the supreme court was right Brandon, what about the longer view of, of that this may be the battle won, but if, if the administration goes back, do you think with everything else going on, this is something that the administration is going to tackle or just wait until after the next election, depending on how things go? Well, I think they have to tackle it if they're, you know, if they're really um, abiding by the Constitution and faithfully executing the laws that the executive branch is supposed to do. They have to tackle it. Um, I, I would make very clear, I'm all for a, a, a solution, a humane, um, you know, keeping... Um, uh, I, I actually think President Trump is for a legislative solution that would keep DACA uh, recipients um, uh, here in the country. Um, and so, but I think at the end of the day, what that decision did, what Justice Robert, Chief Justice Roberts and, and the, um, uh, the uh, four of the justices did was they, they gave the POTUS a mulligan. You know, they said, here, you know, you haven't been playing golf lately. Um, you know, we'll throw this at you. And here's how you 
uh, here's how you can accomplish what you need to do. And I was thinking about it and I'm taking the emotion out of it. And by the way, I have the tremendous amount of respect for Rodrigo and I think he's a, 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 a really, really, really great kid. And, and I'm sure there are a lot of good kids that are in this, in this scenario, situation. But as far as the Supreme Court's decision as a lawyer, you know, I was thinking about it from the perspective of if President Trump decided to put an executive order and said, open carry for firearms, and I'm not trying to, to conflate two issues, but open carry firearms for everyone in the country, executive order, this is, uh, this is, this is now legal, this is what you could do. It, it, he could do that, he could do that. It would be uh, unlawful, it would be against what, um, you know, just like, having um, illegals in the country without, uh, without uh, uh, papers. So I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we have to uh, find legislative solutions and, um, you know, we still need to be concerned with border security. Um, and, you know, I care about, um, you know, kids who came to this country um, illegally. Um, I care about unborn children. I care about all these things, but we still need process. And all the court did was give them a process. Uh, Pablo, jump. Go ahead and jump in before yeah. we move on. Yeah, sorry. I I I find it hard to believe that uh, that President Trump is just doing this out of uh, his terrible concerns for the rule of law. Um, I mean, this is uh, a plan of Obama, and he wants to just uh, destroy it. Uh, Seventy-five percent of the people in the United States, uh, you know, want to give uh, dreamers uh, their citizenship. Uh, even fifty-four percent of Republicans want. Uh, these these people to get their citizenship. This is not controversial. Uh, it's only controversial because two people in this country refuse to do the right thing. One is President Trump, and the other one is the Grim Reaper, Mitch McConnell, who could have taken up this this bill many 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 months ago, and, and this wouldn't have been an issue. This is not even an issue for Republicans. So I I just can't believe that uh, you know all these years later we're still arguing over something that the majority of the American people support. And I, I the, problem, the problem that I, that I see, Brandon, and, and, and that's what I hear a lot, is you went right from dreamers and undocumented to border security. And that's the problem, is that when the, when the rhetoric starts that links these two together, that's when, because uh, I agree with you, I agree with, I, I believe in border security. I believe in deporting people that violate our laws. Um, I believe in the rule of law, but that's so different than what we're talking about with these young kids who are dreamers. They're, um, and, what, and that's a presidential decision to say, let's focus. I mean, we have to focus our resources. They do it all the time. They do it with the Justice Department, what have you. We don't go after every petty criminal that steals $5. We have a, a threshold. So here, you know, just like Rodrigo said, is, you know, make a decision. You know, illegals, so to speak, or people that are here without papers that commit crimes should be punished, should be deported, should be locked up. I get that. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're talking about. Well, I think that um, what we need to recognize is that the presidency is, as are any elected position, are they're, they're temporary. They temporarily hold that office. So we still, the rule of law Thanks is still good important. Lord. Well, that, right, for you, exactly. So that, I, I don't disagree with that in, because I thank the good Lord in the past too. But I'm just saying it's a temporary position and you can't... Um, uh, governed by executive fiat, it just well, and we, but Brandon, we, Brandon, we saw that when uh, President Obama, when he could not get things done toward in the second half of his uh, in his second term, he basically started going by executive order, and we see what happened. 
all of that got rolled back, uh, whether you agree with it or not, by the Trump administration. So I agree with you. If they're going to get a permanent solution, let's not do it by executive order. Agreed. All right. Let's uh, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, uh, we'll give uh, Brandon talks. Brandon talks to him every week. Let me call him. All right. Let's uh, let's go to uh, outrages or kudos. Uh, Dr. Rodriguez, what do you have this week? Well, you know, at a time when we have, you know, the highest peak of cases in the United States, 45,000 cases at a time when Arizona is is reaching capacity in the hospitals at a time when they are, have a record number of cases and hospitalizations. Uh, the president of the United States has a gathering inside a church uh, with 3,000 young people. And while they were waiting outside, just to add a little kicker, they put fans blowing moisture to the crowd so they don't get too hot. In other words, nobody wearing masks, a blow, a, 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 a strong van blowing moisture into the crowd is just a perfect incubator for the COVID-19 uh, virus. Uh, the fact that there's an ordinance in Phoenix that is completely violated and that the mayor just decided that, you know, okay, we have an ordinance, but we're just going to inform people. It's absolutely outrageous. There should have been a, a, an order, an ordinance, uh, and there should have been tickets, and they should have canceled the event if it's against public health rules. All right, Eva, what do you have? Mine is very local. Um, my and my usually I have a kudos. This time I have an outrage. Um, I think the Republican Party is really um, outrageous. They go to court. They argue. They complain. One third of the legislative seats in the state of Rhode Island are going unanswered by the Republicans. So you know what? If you don't start working boots on the ground, then quiet down because that's where it has to change if you wanna make change. Um, the fact that we have Democratic primaries out there and we don't even have one Republican in one third of the House and Senate um, races of people that wanna run for office, um, you know, I don't know. I'd be looking for a new chairwoman if I were you, because that to me speaks volumes. You need to get out there and entice people to get involved in the political process. And um, until the Republican Party does that, we're not going to have we're not going to have a two party system in the state of Rhode Island. Mr. Bell. Oh, boy. Where do I start on that one? I have to. Respond. You got two minutes to answer that and give me your oh, outrage. No, Go ahead. Start, over, start the clock. Um, Eva, uh, I would say our chairwoman is doing uh, the best that she could do. It ain't easy. It ain't easy, let me tell you. Recruiting candidates, I've been there, I've done that, and I had the same problem. Um, I'm all for, I'm all about quality, not about quantity. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, especially now with COVID, and I hate to use COVID as an excuse for everything, but you can't even knock on doors, so it's tough. This is a uh, COVID was an incumbent protection plan um, by every stretch of the imagination. But let's be realistic. Um, the courthouse is where. I know I got stuff done. I'm still getting stuff done in the courthouse. That is how we're effectuating change. Going to the board of canvassers and getting Carnivale to testify and perjure himself about where he lives. That's how you get change. Taking Don Lally to the ethics commission because he took a job from the Raimondo administration that Speaker Mattiello got him. That's how you get change. I can give you 10 more examples, but that is how you get change. So we could bark, and, but that is, that is another way to get change. I'd, I'd like to see the ballot box also be another way to get change. And as far as um, I'm concerned, I don't think that you, um, uh, Jim, had on your show uh, after Speaker Mattiello uh, uttered the words that um, there may not have been slavery or how, whatever he said in Rhode Island. Um, that is shameful. 
shameful, not just because he's Speaker of the House, but because nobody in that chamber said anything with the exception of Representative Hull and the Republican caucus. Representative Hull, who's a Democrat, um, made a strong comment about the fact that the Speaker of the House didn't know anything about slavery in Rhode Island and the, and the rich history, the horrible history of slavery in Rhode Island. That's despicable. If Governor Kacheri, Governor Ahman, name a Republican, if they didn't know about it, they would be literally um, condemned, condemnations, admonitions, um, uh, resolutions. I mean, Representative Anastasia Williams stands up not just during Black History Month, but all year speaking about um, you know, racism and other issues, slavery and things of that nature. And apparently Speaker Mattiello doesn't read those things. Brandon, I got to hold you and I'm sorry. Yeah, that was an eye opener. Folks, thank you. It's a quick half hour. Pablo, Eva and Brandon, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us as we're ramped up again on Lively. We'll be back next week. Hope you can join us as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great weekend, everybody. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.